0: So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles. Let's prepare our hearts. Thank the Lord for the worship team, allowing the Lord to use them. Let's bow our hearts and go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your provision. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're so grateful that you are here Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your presence. Help us to be open to your word, to be open to the work you desire to do in us and through us. And may you bless every servant on this campus, empower every servant on this campus. Help us, Lord, to serve in your power, your love, and in your joy. We pray, Lord, that you'll do a mighty work in each and every person's heart who is willing. If anybody has not put their faith in Jesus. At this time, we pray, Lord, that you would draw them to Jesus tonight. That they would definitely leave here a brother or sister in Christ, a citizen of heaven. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. I pray, Lord, that I would decrease and you increase and be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are in Romans chapter 7 still, and... Lord willing, we're going to review verses 7 through 25. The title of tonight's lesson is The Struggle is Real. And talking about struggling, we do struggle in many areas as humans. We, we struggle with getting up early in the morning. Some of us, some of us are early birds. We don't have that struggle. Some of us struggle as we study for exams for school or Perhaps there's an exam at work to get a promotion. We may struggle with studying. Some of us struggle with studying the word of God. We may even struggle in other areas with family, just the the task of raising children. And so we, as humans, struggle in various areas in life. And in tonight's lesson, we're going to see the struggle of a man of an apostle. And by the inspiration of the spirit, he shared his personal struggle with the readers who were reading this letter back then and those of us now. And so we get, we get to look at this struggle and learn from it. But not only do we get to look at this struggle, not only do we get to read about it, but we also get to see the answer to his problem. And so essentially, we're going to get the cheat sheet with the answer to it. And so we want to turn to verse 7 and dive into the Word of God, and we want to see what nuggets God has for us tonight. Those are spiritual nuggets, something valuable that he wants us to apply, and we can apply Because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so in verse 7, we see the question. The first question. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. So notice the personal pronoun, I. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, "You shall not covet," which we can find in Exodus chapter twenty and in Deuteronomy chapter five. And so the Apostle Paul is preparing for this question here, because some may think that because of all that was said, that maybe the law. Is the issue that maybe the law is the problem because in our previous studies, we have heard the following. We have heard that we have become dead to the law. We've heard that our sinful passions were aroused by the law. And then we've heard things like we have been freed from the law to serve in the newness Of the Spirit with the capital S, Holy Spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter, speaking of the law. And so you hear those things. Some may have these questions. Is the law sin? But on his way to answering that question, he admitted that if it were not for the law, he would not have known sin. He would not have been able to acknowledge sin in his life. And so law, the law, is not the issue. In fact, the law that he was called out on, that, that really stood out to him is coveting. And covet means to have a desire for or to lust after, to fix the desire upon, to, to want something in an evil way. And so that law from the word of God stood out to him. He would not have known it if it were not for the law of God. So the law is not the issue. It's not sin. It's not evil, but sin in verse eight, take an opportunity by the commandment again, referring to the law, it produced or aroused in me all manner, all kinds of evil desire, those covetous desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Sin has no power. And so the law is not designed, of course, to make people want to sin. But what happens is we have a sin nature that wants to rebel against the law. And so apart from the law, sin lays low. It doesn't stick up his ugly head. In Romans 7, 5, going back to a a few verses earlier, it says, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members or body parts to bear fruit to death. And so we see kind of that same type of language here in verse 8. And just to show you a picture of how Our sin nature works. I like to use that example of a roller coaster or us being on something high, like a roof or something. I don't know how many stories you want to make it. Use your imagination, three stories. Or maybe it's one of those uh, roller coasters or so forth where you go high up in the air like a magic mountain, free fall. And so you go up in the air and there's just a pause on this roller coaster. You don't know when it's going to drop. And then your friends who are sitting next to you are telling you, hey, don't look down. Don't look down. And you probably wouldn't have thought to look down if they didn't say don't look down. But guess what? Just because they said it, yes, yes, we do look down. And it's the same way with the law because the law says that something is sin. Our sin nature says, let me test it out. That's our sin nature. And the sin nature is what we're born with. That's what we get from Adam. We have no choice in that. And we learned about that a few lessons ago. But in verse nine, the apostle Paul still using the personal pronoun. I, he says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, when the law came, when I was made aware of the law, sin revived and I died. See, when he wasn't aware of the law, he was living life. He was living life carefree. He was living life guilt free as if he was doing the right thing, as if there were no issues between him and God. But after being made aware of the details in the law that came from God, then what happened? Sin came to life, sin revived, and now he realized, oh, man, I am spiritually dead I'm messed up. I'm not as good off as I thought I was. But that's what the law did. And how many of us have been in that spot? We were just living life carefree, living the good life, so to speak. But then the law, the word of God showed us something that, hey, what, what you're doing, what you're thinking about, what you're viewing. That's sin. So many of us have been there as well. So we can relate to the apostle Paul In verses 10 and 11. It says in the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death for sin taken occasion by the commandment. It deceived me and by it, that is by the commandment, sin killed me. And so there's a couple of ways we can understand what is meant by this phrase that the commandment was found to bring death. There's a couple of ways we can understand that. Number one, we can understand it to mean that the law sentences the lawbreaker to death. The one who disobeys just one of the laws. The law says, hey, you're a sinner, you're guilty, you're sentenced to death. We can understand it that way as we look at that phrase, that I found that the commandment brought death. But also it could be understood to mean that the law is used by sin to awaken the power of sin in our sin nature. And of course, we know that the wages of sin is death. See, sin does pay, but it pays something that is tough, something that is horrible it pays death. That's the wages. That's what we deserve. In verse 12, it says, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment, holy and just and good. And so here you see that the point has been made. Answering the question is the law sin. So here we get a clear answer. No, it's not. It's, it's holy, it's just and good. It has to be. Because it came from a holy, just, and good God. And it reveals his character. And so, no, there is nothing evil about the law. It is not sin. And so, in support of that, i like to turn to Galatians. Or you can write this down. Galatians 3, verse 21. And I'll look at the second half of that verse. It says here, if there... Had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Why? Because it came from God. So if somebody were to perfectly obey the law that God gave, that came from God, then yes, it would lead to life. But you break one, you you break them all, you're guilty of them all. And so no, it is not sin. It is not evil. So has then what is good in verse 13... Become death to me. Certainly not. Perish the thought. Get rid of that thought. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. And what is good, again, is a reference to the commandments, to the law. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. In other words, sin... As the commandment shines a light on it will it become sinful beyond measure, because we would see sin for what it is, we will see its true ugliness and you can picture you can imagine the the law being like a white background, and you can imagine this this sin being a this red stain and it 'll definitely stand out if you wear a polka dot shirt. Or plaid shirt, it may, that stain may not stand out as much. But against the pure white backdrop of the word of God, sin is going to become exceedingly sinful. We're going to see the true ugliness of sin. And so what the apostle Paul did, as the Holy Spirit inspired him in verse 13, what he did was identify the true killer. Because the question was asked, has then what is good become death to me? And of course, the question is no. But the killer, as is identified in verse 13, of course, is sin. And so, so far in this lesson, what we've been reading about, as you paid attention to those past tense verbs, you've been looking at pre-conversion Paul. You've been looking at Paul before he became a Christian. So far. Pay attention to the verb tense. That's a hint you can get from that. And if you remember his past, remember he practiced Judaism. He practiced the law, the traditions of the fathers. On top of the law, of course, the sacrifices, all those things. The the word of God says that he was a Pharisee. He even mentions that about himself. And in regard to the law, he considered himself blameless. He was a strict follower of the law and the traditions. And so for somebody like him with that type of background, if this information about sin using the law to gain an advantage, if that was revealed to him who was all about the law relating to God through the law or legalism, so if that was revealed to him that the sin uses the law to gain his power, then what does that mean for the legalist today? The person who who wants to use the law or a set of rules to relate to God today. Instead of being under the banner of grace. What does that mean? It's, it, it means bad news. It's death. They're not going to get anywhere with that. All that's going to happen is that sin is going to gain more momentum. That's what it's talking about here. It it uses what is good to kill folks. It's almost like using uh, something as tasty and delicious as a birthday cake to poison somebody. So that's what it's like. When the, when the, when sin uses the law to do his dirty work in verse 14, it says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I'm of the flesh sold under sin. And so this word spiritual refers to things that have their origin with God. And as a result, it's in harmony with God's character. And so that's why the law could be called spiritual. It comes from him. But carnal, of course, means having the nature of the flesh. It's sensual or physical, controlled by animal appetites and is governed by the human nature instead of the spirit of God. And so when we talk about carnality, we're talking about that which is opposite from being spiritual from being of the Holy Spirit. So being carnal is about pleasing self instead of God. In verses 15 and 16, it says, for what I am doing. And so you see his struggle currently at that time. He was writing for what I am doing. I do not understand. Notice the verb tenses. They became present tense now. For what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So by the fact that he acknowledged that he is doing what he really doesn't want to do, that he's doing what he hates to do, by the fact that he is acknowledging that, that he is agreeing with the law, that yes, the law is good. I agree with the law that what the law says is sin is sin. It's wrong. He's in agreement with that. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin or that sin nature that dwells in me, that dwells in my flesh. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, that is in my sin nature I know that nothing good dwells. Nothing good is there for to will is present with me to do the right thing is in my heart is in my mind to do. But how to perform what is good? I do not find for the good that I will to do that. I want to do. I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do that I practice what's wrong with me. He must have been saying in his mind. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin or that sin nature that dwells in me. So verses 20 and verse 17, they they, they seem to be saying the same thing. I find then a law. I find a principle that evil is present with me. The one who wills, the one who wants to do good, the one who pleases God, who wants to please God. I find that evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God. According to the inward man, according to my new nature. I delight in God's law. But then I I see another law. I see something else. Working in my members, working in the different parts of my body, and they're warring against the law of my mind. They're warring against the good that I want to do to please God. And it's bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, which is in my body parts. Oh, wretched. Oh, miserable man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body or this life that is dominated by sin? And so in these verses, verses 14 through 23, now we see his struggles as a Christian. Why do I think that? I think that because of the present tense verbs and also the fact that he mentions his his inward man. His inward man referring to the new nature delights in the word of God. Only Christians have a new nature. And this chapter here helps us to understand the struggle that is going on in the lives of Christians. And so we learn about his struggles, but we learn also a little more about the struggles that we're going through as well. In the title of this message, of course, as I mentioned earlier, is the struggle is real. See, in the past, this phrase was used to describe the struggles of African-Americans in the inner city, an area that I'm from. So that 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 term, that phrase, the struggle was real, was used by, by some, of, some of us who were raised in the ghetto. And there was a real struggle. Yes, it was real. It was tangible. Felt like we couldn't get out. Some of us didn't think we would make it to 20 or even 30 years of age. The struggle, yes, was was real. But today, of course, this phrase is used as slang and is used to describe a a frustrating situation. And and sometimes this slang, this phrase, the struggle is real can be used in a humorous way. For example, if you have a taco Tuesday night, you don't have any shredded cheese But what you do, you tear. I haven't done this, but some people may tear up sandwich cheese and put it on the taco, post it online and say, hey, the struggle is real. (laughs) You got a hole in your shoe like I did when I was in elementary school. I had a hole in my shoe one time. And so I know you're going to laugh. So I'm not going to say don't laugh. So what I did to make sure that those shoes lasted a little longer, I stapled them. And so I could have said back then that, hey, the struggle is real if I had social media. And so sometimes it's used in a humorous way, especially these days. But for the Christian, for the Christian, we can seriously say that, yes, this this struggle is real. Yes, Apostle Paul, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you were going through and Christians in your day were going through. Because today, yes, we, we have some of those same struggles and there is a reason for the conflict that is within Paul, that was within Paul. Of course, when he was in, when when he was alive walking on this earth and there's a reason for this conflict that was within us, that is within us. And the reason, of course, is that the believer has two natures. The believer has the nature that comes from Adam, the sin nature, that nature that that wants to sin, that wants to give in to sin all the time. That nature that when it sees the law, when it sees the word of God says, I ain't doing that. I'm not going to obey that. I'm going to go the other way. That's the that's the tendency that we all are born with. And believers. Thank God we, we do have another nature. We have a new nature and that new nature is from God. That new nature is by choice. That new nature is by decision, a decision that we make. See, we couldn't make that decision when we were born. It was passed down through, through Adam, that sin nature. And there are some family members that we're related to physically, some blood relatives that we have. And yes, some of them are crazy. Maybe we are the crazy one, but either way, either way, we had no choice in being related to our blood relatives, our family members, crazy or not, silly or not, we have no choice, but we did have a choice in the matter in choosing our spiritual family. And so praise God, many of us in here, most of us in here are related spiritually Related spiritually through the blood of Jesus. Related spiritually by faith via the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And it's because of the grace of God and said, so we have this struggle or this struggle is real within us because we have two natures. The unbeliever. They only have one. That's why when you were an unbeliever, all you did was given to Sin. That was our lifestyle. Didn't think twice about it. We didn't have that new nature to struggle with. to Struggle against that. It wasn't going on inside of us. Yeah, maybe some of us wanted to do some good things or whatever the case may be. When we were unbelievers. But the truth is there was only one nature, the old sin nature. When we were unbelievers, but yes, we have both natures. And so in that old nature, that sin nature, we serve self. We serve ourselves. It is selfish. And we serve sin. But with the new nature that we have, that we receive from God, that is modeled after God. That nature has the ability, has the capacity to serve God. And so that's why the apostle Paul, because some of you may have gotten confused about this, but that's why he said in verses 17 and 20, where he says, now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So, so some of you may have thought, so apostle Paul, are you pushing off that responsibility for the sin you committed or maybe that sin of omission? Are you passing off that responsibility? Are you not owning it so you don't have to confess and repent it to God? No, what is he saying? He's saying that, hey, that's that's not me anymore. He's saying that I have a new nature. And so my new nature that's from God, that's modeled after God, that new nature is not with sinning. So no, the new me, the new man. And you'll see that term in the scriptures in the New Testament, the new man. We have from God. No, that doesn't sin. So we're sinning. So what is sinning? It is the, it says it's the sin that is in him, that, that sin nature that dwells within him. That's what's coming to the surface if he sins. And so we have a choice. Are we going to yield our minds? Are we going to yield our wills? Are we going to yield or present our bodies? And allow our sin nature, our old nature, which is really should be ineffective in us through Christ. Are we allowing that to rise up and have control over us or influence us? Are we allowing that new nature from God to have the influence over our mind, over our will, as well as over our body? And so there is that struggle, that real struggle that is within the believer because of two natures. But then there is a reason because the Apostle Paul didn't have to give in to sin. He didn't have to fail. None of us had to fail in some of the times when we failed, perhaps in the past or maybe even recently as believers. But yes, he failed in his attempt to keep the law of God. And the reason is, and you'll notice this, he was operating in his own strength. He was operating according to self. Remember, we don't want to operate in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the spirit. We don't want to use our own energy, the energy of the flesh, because we will fail. We're going to give in to that old sin nature all the time. We're going to mess up. Because guess what? The law, as we see in verse 13, the law from God, it is spiritual. Not only is it from God, that's why it's spiritual, but again, it, it, it's meant to be lived from the inside out. Not just to regulate our outside behavior that people can see. And so it's spiritual. It's meant to get to the issues of the heart. And Jesus pointed that out. But the apostle Paul tried to obey. And some of us try to obey something that is spiritual by means of the flesh. That will not work. We try to obey something that is spiritual by means of our own energy. It won't work. It's like trying to do a job with the wrong tool. It's like trying to eat a certain type of food with the wrong utensil. It's like trying to eat soup with a fork. It just doesn't match up. Trying to serve God in the flesh. We're going to fail every time. Uh, Paul understood that. He recognized that. We're learning that. Tonight, we're gleaning from that. And hopefully, learn from it and, and, and do better. Apply the word of God to our lives. So yeah, some of us are operating in self and our own strength as well. Cannot. Fulfill something that's spiritual by using the flesh, our own means. It's very clear. God is spirit. We have to meet him in the area of the spirit, which means that our spirit needs to become alive, which means we need a new nature to have that relationship with him, to truly worship him and serve him in the way that he wants us to. It's impossible in the power of our flesh. And I wonder tonight if that's the reason some of us are frustrated and have been failing in our struggles. Because we're operating according to self in the flesh. And then the apostle we see in verse 24. is seeing this, this frustration and. You know, talking about his struggles and failure in the struggle. He he lets out this expression of frustration. And again, we read verse 24. He says, oh, wretched, oh, miserable man that I am miserable. I'm doing what I hate to do, what I want to do. I just can't do it. I'm in self, in my own strength. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Frustrated. And and this, and in that, in that verse, in verse 24, it gives us a vivid, a a, a clear picture of what our experience is like. Because during that time, according to one source, this body of death is a reference actually to the Roman method of punishment. And so, This is one of the ways they will punish a murderer. They would chain up that dead body, that person that they murdered. They would chain that person, that dead corpse or that corpse, chain it to the person who murdered them. And possibly back to back. And so the the murderer carried around this corpse, this dead body, this body of death on him or her. And they were released to wander wherever they wanted to wander. And so this corpse would become putrid. It would rot. And you can imagine the diseases that would come from being in contact with this corpse that they couldn't separate themselves from. And no one was allowed to help or comfort the murderer who were carrying around the corpse of the person that they murdered. And so that murderer was suffering. And so we get a vivid picture of. Of what the apostle Paul is talking about using that type of imagery to describe the sin nature that we have, because the sin nature that we have, it's like carrying around that dead body. We're believers. We have a new nature, but we're still in time. We're still in our non glorified bodies. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back, but yet and still we have this sin nature within us. And and, and it is like carrying around this corpse around on our back and there's nobody to deliver us. And so can you imagine what that will be like? If you were literally in that situation, you can come close to that. And yes, the apostle Paul, he felt that no one could deliver him, that there was no help. Just like there was no one who could deliver or help the murderer who had to carry around that corpse. They were not allowed to. So Paul felt that, okay, who, who can help me? And I'm just wondering tonight, have you been in that place? Maybe you are there in that place right now. When you're struggling, you, you know that you put your faith in Christ, but you feel this struggle. Within you, and you're like, man, I I really love the Lord, and I go to these various services. I go to Wednesday night, I go to men's study, women's study, Saturday morning men's study. I even go to prayer service and home fellowships. I read the scriptures morning, noon, and night, and yet still. Yet and still I feel this battle within and I and I feel this, this sin nature like this body of death taking over me. So now I begin to do those things that I really don't want to do that I know displeases God. And yet and still I fail. Yet and still I sin. And pastor told me that the Holy Spirit indwells me. But yet and still I fail. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Some of you may have asked. And for Paul and for believers like us, there is an answer to the question. And praise God that he doesn't leave us hanging. So all of us, we don't get to leave here depressed. So don't you leave early. Because the answer is in is in verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind. With the mind that is influenced by the new nature from God, I myself serve the law of God, which is spiritual, right? But with the flesh, with my sin nature, my sinful nature, that serves the law of sin. And it reminds me of a scenario. Sometimes as we think about that answer, that answer being Jesus, it it just reminds me of cooking. And I'm not a big, you know, I don't know if that's the right term, cooker. I'm not a chef. <laughs> I think I need to put that word in a dictionary. I just made up something. So I'm not big on that, but can you imagine you're cooking something? You, you, you cooked it, you baked it several times. So you know what it tastes like. But just this one time, you, you bake it, you cook it, maybe you grill it. Fry it, whatever the case is, and, and you taste it this time and hey, something's not right. And what you discover is that you, you, you missed something, you missed an important ingredient. And that's what it's like when we try to obey the word of God, when we try to obey God's laws. And we, and we try to operate in the flesh But my hope is that eventually we will discover what the apostle Paul shared with us, that Jesus himself is the missing ingredient. He is what was missing that whole time in his walk, in his, in his, uh, trying of, as far as trying to obey the law. Jesus is what was missing, the missing ingredient in his efforts, some of our efforts. He is, The answer to living victoriously over our flesh, over that sin nature. So we won't fail. But why Jesus? Why is Jesus the answer? And number one, Jesus is the answer because, because of Him. Because of Him, we don't have to fall into sin. We don't have to be ruled by sin because Jesus said that He sets us free. In John chapter 8, verse 36, it says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And if you read those verses in context, it's talking about freedom from sin. So that's number one. So that's why Jesus is the answer. Because he set us free from that. It's a fact. Some of us don't live like it. But it's the truth. If you're in Christ, the power that sin had over you is broken. Now we have to live like it. We shall be free indeed. Whoever the son makes free. And indeed means, if we use today's language, it means for real. We are free for real. Not for fake. In Christ. And number two, as we talk about why Jesus, why is he the answer to this victory over our flesh, to this victory over failure? The second reason is through faith in him, we have that new nature. That's the second reason. Through faith in him, we have the new nature. If it weren't for him, we would just be stuck with the old nature. That's it would not have the capacity to serve God. And it is through that new nature that the Holy Spirit works through. And in our next study, actually in in chapter 8, we'll talk more about that, about the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to spend too much time on number two. And so we have number one, because Jesus set us free. That's why he's the answer to overcoming the struggle. Number two, through faith in him we receive that new nature that's capable of obeying god and then number 3 through faith in him eventually yes we will be delivered we'll be delivered from that sin nature we'll be delivered from these corruptible bodies this one day we'll, we're going to get a glorified body that will not sin We'll get a glorified body that doesn't die, that doesn't feel pain anymore. Yes, we'll get that glorified body. So, yeah, in the future, and that is the final stage of salvation. That's why when you read about salvation or where it talks about saving or so forth in the scripture, sometimes it speaks of salvation in the past tense. Because there is a past tense aspect to salvation. It's called justification. That's once and for all, all God declaration that we are righteous. We have a right standing with God. But then you see scriptures that talking about us being saved. That's a process of salvation. That's where we are right now. If we're still living in these bodies. And the fancy word we heard it many a times is sanctification, but that final stage of salvation. Where where you see it talks about salvation as future, where you hear about scriptures or you read about scriptures where it says our our salvation is nearer today than it was when we first believe. When it speaks of our salvation, future tense is talking about glorification finally being delivered from this body of death from that sin nature is the worship team comes up. And so if you don't remember anything else tonight, just want to leave you with this. Yes. We have a real struggle. Yes. The struggle is real, but we have a real answer. We have a real savior. And finally, we have a real deliverance. Amen. So tonight we have uh, communion. We have the elements set up at the back there and here at the front. It's different from Sunday morning if you knew we're visiting. So communion, of course, is. is a time of examination. Examine our hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything, any sin in our lives that need to be brought to the surface. We ask for forgiveness. We repent. Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John chapter 1. But it's also a time of remembrance, remembering that body that was beaten, that was abused for us, that body that hung on that cross. And through faith in Jesus, remember in our previous lesson, the old us died with him. As we identify with him through faith in him. So we remember that body. We are thankful for that body that was broken for us. We are thankful for that blood that was shed for us. And as we partake of the juice, what represents the blood. Remember that it represents his life being poured out because the life of the flesh is in the blood as we find out in Leviticus. And so we partake with a heart of reverence, taking God seriously. We partake with a heart of examination. We partake with a heart of gratitude. And it's a message that we preach. We're actually preaching because we proclaim, it says, we preach his death until he comes as we partake of communion. It's a good way to remind us of what he did for us. And I think it was so fitting that we ended up here on this lesson where we talked about the answer being Jesus. And that's what keeping this simple Wednesday night service is about is always bringing it back to Jesus and the cross. So I'll lead us into prayer real quick. And after that prayer, as you feel moved, feel free to take the elements back to your seat and pray by yourself or with your spouse. Then partake. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the new nature that you have given to us through faith in Christ. Thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we do have victory in Jesus. That we don't have to give in to sin. We don't Have to give in to that old nature. Help us Lord to. Serve you in the newness of the spirit. Thank you Lord for this. Personal part. Of the apostle Paul's life. Lord he was a faithful servant of yours and. We pray that you help us to be faithful, Lord. Lord, we pray for every person here, Lord, who have taken this message to heart. We pray, Lord, for power throughout this week to apply, that you use them for your glory. We pray, Father, for anybody who's discouraged Because of their failures, their sin. To remind them that you are the God who forgives. Lord, may you bless the elements that we partake of tonight. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you all for your faithfulness, your attentiveness. So if I don't get to say bye to you, I love you. May God keep you. Amen.
1: Before the throne of God above, I have a strong perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is Tongue can bid me that deep up Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within word I love. A sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and